to the podcast for North Decatur Presbyterian Church. We are a PCUSA congregation located in Decatur, Georgia. You can find out more about the church, our service to the community, and our great education programs for children like me and youth and adults at ndpc.org. You can also follow us on Facebook. If you're in the Atlanta area, we hope you'll come join us in person. Okay, that's it. On to this week's scripture and sermon. And so this week, we're in a familiar text. We're back in Mark's gospel. Uh, If you've been tuning into worship the last few weeks, you've no doubt heard preaching from this text. Um, But we're taking a pivot this week. We're going to an earlier part of the story, back to Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Uh, to discuss a well-known passage. But before we do that, I have a question for you. We're spending our Lenten season talking about journeys. And so my question is, what has been the most formative journey that you've been on? Now, this can be something literal. Maybe you backpacked in Europe and went down the Appalachian Trail. Or maybe it's figurative. Maybe it was a season in your life that was a metaphorical journey. Um, Either way, when we narrate our lives, when we tell our stories to people, we no doubt use journey language. I was on a journey. I traveled. I traversed. Right? We all do this. And Mark's short biography of Jesus is no different. I read Mark, and I feel like I'm on a cinematic journey through the life of Jesus. Each event happening one after another. Scene one. Scene two scene three, all the way to the end, immediately jumbled together. And this section of the text is the beginning of the journey for Jesus. Scene one, if you will, the opening scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan and then finds himself in the wilderness being tempted by Satan. And so join me, join me as we read this week's text from the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter one, verses nine through 15 At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Not once, immediately, the spirit sent him out into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. And now after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Friends, this is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if this text sounds a little familiar, it's because a little over a month ago, David preached on the baptism of Jesus, right? You remember this, the heavens tear open and the spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove. David used the term dive bomb, right? He's been proclaimed as the son of God, but the story doesn't end there. Immediately after that, Jesus goes on to live a successful life. He takes the money he earned from his small carpentry startup and he builds a network of construction companies all around the ancient valley. Just kidding. That's, that's not what happens at all, right? We just read 
Uh, that, that may be the version of set that sells, but it's not the story. The real story, Mark says, is that Jesus was immediately met with a test in the wilderness after his baptism. And this test comes in the form of an adversary, that's the word they use here, to tempt Jesus with the allure of power. Now, the Greek can play, conveys this place as a desolate place. In other words, Mark is trying to tell you that this is the devil's turf. No food, no drink, and no visible means of support. And it's there, in this desolate, dry land, that Satan meets Jesus. But before we talk about the discussion between these two figures, we have to talk about why we're reading this text today. See, today is the first Sunday of Lent. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. But either way, this Sunday is the first Sunday that we're together on the journey towards Jesus's death and resurrection. And every year, a version of this account we're reading in Mark is featured in the lectionary on the first Sunday of Lent. Maybe you've heard it in Matthew's gospel. Maybe you've heard it in Luke's gospel. Right? The 40 days between Ash Wednesday and Easter, Christians often choose to fast from something to experience what Jesus did in the wilderness. In other words, this season, Lent, is an observance of the 40 days we're reading about today. And wilderness is not just mentioned in this little passage in uh, Mark, Luke, and Matthew. Wilderness is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Right? There's, there's Noah's Ark. There's Moses and the Israelites wandering the desert for 40 years, just like Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. And there's the Babylonian exile. Right? That was a wilderness season in the Old Testament. See, the, the book we read from, the, the Bible, the Old and New Testaments, is very interested in this idea of wilderness. Now, to me... This idea of wilderness runs contrary to how many teach the Christian faith today. If you're ever prone to wander around a bookstore, you've probably stumbled upon a book, probably one that's a Christian book, that tells success stories. And based on these accounts, you'd think that being a Christian is nothing more than a nice stroll through spiritual suburbia. Right? I, I became a Christian. I picked myself up by my bootstraps. I figured it out. I got the promotion. We won the championship, right? I woke myself up from my deep slumber and I conquered everything in my path. And the first version I told you about of this gospel, right, where Jesus plants little carpentry startups throughout the ancient valley, that would be the version you would find in those books. But this text and, and the entire season of Lent is supposed to be a reminder that wilderness, especially wilderness after anointing, is to be expected. I don't know about you, but the strain of American triumphalism that emphasizes this sort of bootstrap language and uh, self-effort has left me exhausted and weary. It's almost like I'm in the desert or the wilderness. See, I want to submit to you that the faith we practice isn't about success and mountaintops and achievement. It's more about wilderness. And that may sound like a tired trope, but the reality is that the book of Hebrews is right when it says that we have a great high priest who is tempted in every way that we were. See, Mark doesn't tell us the details of this encounter between um, 
Jesus and Satan. We don't know the details of the conversation in Mark, but Matthew and Luke fill in those gaps. And they tell a story of three temptations that Jesus faced. The first, turn these stones into bread. In other words, alter creation to serve yourself. The second, he's challenged to throw himself off of a temple. Test God. Let's see if you really are who God says you are. And the third, the third, take earthly authority, but first you have to bow, bend the knee to Satan. In other words, take the easy way. See, in some way, we've all been tempted by these things, but we've also, we see these tests given and failed on almost a daily basis. Corporations and individuals constantly exploit our earth to make money and to build on their already immense fortunes. I think they call that turning stones into bread. We see others use their tool, their religion as a tool to get rich, taking money from the poor in exchange of a vague promise of God's favor, right? Give us your money and God will bless you. We see that on television all the time. And I think they call that testing God. And then we see uh, others cutting corners and grabbing power, reaching for power without taking the necessary steps for accountability. See, I think they call that taking the easy way. But if we're being honest, if we're being honest, we too are not always capable of handling the pressures of these temptations because we're finite beings. We're finite beings. And if we're being honest about temptation, it often reveals our finitude. We just aren't always able to choose well. There are limits to the insights we have. We may pray without ceasing, but we also may fail to work for justice in our community. We may work tirelessly for justice in our community, but we may neglect those that are closest to us. We put our trust in things that we can taste and see and touch because they're available to us tangibly and immediately, even though we know that those things will disappoint us. See, we live in wildernesses of our own collective making. We've built worlds that take away from the poor and exploit creation for the benefit of the rich. We're always encouraged to draw further and further into our technological bubbles and echo chambers. But this is where the text and this is where Lent meets you and me with such good news. Because we're invited to spend 40 odd days in the wilderness of Almighty God's desert. It's here, it's here away from the illusion that everything is okay, that we can find refuge. We walk through these wildernesses through the season of testing and trial, the place where the devil seems so real and where God seems so absent. But Lent is the reminder that God is not absent. God is in the wilderness with you. See, that's the thread that ties all of these wilderness narratives in scripture together. Providence, right? The only thing that Mark adds to the conversation about Jesus in the desert is that the angels in creation attended to the needs of Christ. In this desolate, dry land, creation, God is providing. And what that shows us is that God's nature 
is to sustain and to provide. And so as I close, I want you to hear what this means. This means that the discipline we practice in Lent isn't meant to be a neurotic burden for you to stop eating chocolate or to cut carbs for 40 days. It's saying no to something familiar and comfortable so that we can hear the beautiful and providential yes from God. This yes, this yes comes in the form of weaknesses held, of needs met, and of sins forgiven. It moves us to see God's tendency to forgive us and sustain us. And doing this ought not to lead to self-hatred, but instead it allows us to live into our bodies, to acknowledge them for what they are, so that we can see ourselves more compassionately and move towards loving our neighbors without demand or condition. This ought not to be a season of self-hatred, but an acceptance of reality. We can say no to the triumphalist narratives that tell us everything is okay, and yes towards the road of God, which leads us to the wilderness, but will also lead us to the empty tomb. Amen.